It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omni-channel digital journey of brands and retailers. It's Women's Month on the CPG Guys. Every year in November, we feature only female executives, startup founders, and leaders from CPG brands and retail on the podcast. This is one of several episodes featuring one such female leader in a career in retail in November 2023. I'm your co-host, Shree, and please do listen to my daughter's music at www.riaraj.com. That's R-H-E-A-R-A-J.com. And follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter at Dream Academy by Hybe and Geffen slash Universal Records on YouTube or Instagram. Joining me today is none other than the notorious Biatno, notorious Peter, who is also the co-founder of the podcast, a loyalty and insights guru. And when he's not podcasting, he serves as 
Partnership Acceleration Lead at the newly rebranded Flywheel. Hello, Peter. How you doing, man? Sri, I'm torn today. I'm torn because of our topic and our guest. I love a really good brain freeze like anyone else does, right? Okay, so you go to 7-Eleven, you get a good brain freeze. But I'm also torn because I'm going to have to deal with not one, but two Hokies today. And that's got me a little worried, a little concerned. But I'm going to go with trepidation into this conversation. I'm doing well. I miss you. It's been how long has it been since I've seen you? A week, give or take. I, I, I miss you, old man. I, you know, I, we need to be next door to each other. This this coast to coast is just too far. I need to be able to just walk next door and you know sit in the backyard and hang out and have a uh, have a lemonade with you. You mean two thousand seven hundred fifty four miles is uh, too much? Just a little too much for me, Shri. I miss you, man. I guess. But before we uh, g- hey, uh, get Peter. Oh, yes, Marla. No, I was going to say, um, instead of your lemonade, I'll give you even one better. This weekend, um, well, actually, throughout the rest of the year, but since it's Halloween, extra fun, pitch, it's Mountain Dew, pitch black Slurpee. So for your brain freeze, Ooh. go check it out. It's at, uh, oh it's at 7-Eleven, and um, it's an exclusive flavor. So fun fun. Be damn the Hokie. I'm good in with the Slurpee. Let's do it, Trey. Let's get this going. Here's what we Hokies do. We always deliver on promises. How do you like that, Peter? But before we get to our guests and solve the mystery of who it is who happens to be a fellow Virginia Tech alum like me, let me remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you use Apple or Spotify, please do give us a rating because not only does it help feed the algorithm and makes our podcast more findable, it actually tells us how we're doing. Do we have the right guests, the right conversations? We want to express our honored VR to be rated the number one CPG podcast for two years running according to Feedspot, the leading podcast ranking authority in the U.S., and we're pleased to have join us in the top 30, our sister cast, CPG Scoop, CPG Guys Fast Forward, and the FMCG Guys. We're also happy to be formal sponsors of Next Stop, whose mission is to advance all women in business we're giving away memberships to this prestigious network and organization, so drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, email contact at cpgguys.com. To learn more and take advantage of what Next Up has to offer, links to our podcast, our sister cast, our landing page on Next Up may be found on the digital liner notes of this episode. And now on to our guest. She has spent a career... Not only an alum from Virginia Tech like me, but also spent a career at my alma mater, PepsiCo. While she started in sales like me, she also did rotations in finance, took on increasing responsibility in customer-facing roles, and now leads the successful business of PepsiCo with 7-Eleven as the SVP General Manager of the Global Partnership. And I want to say hokey hi. Welcome to a fellow alum from Virginia Tech. And the third intersecting intersection that we have is I come from the dollar drug and convenience channel at Frito as well. In addition, a fourth one, she's a fellow board member with me on Next Up Advancing Gender Equality. Welcome, Marla Donlin. Thanks for joining us this special month in November 2023, Women's Month on the CPG Guys. How are you, Marla? I am great. And thank you for having me. Definitely looking forward to talking with uh, you and Peter. Before we get to the questions I've prepared, Marla, would you please give us a description of your role as SVP GM of the Global 7-Eleven Partnership at PepsiCo? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a great, unique role. We have uh, 
a few of these across PepsiCo, but you get to work directly with um, a customer team and the customer as well. And mine is 7-Eleven. And so I get to work across all of our businesses on the Pepsi beverage portfolio, the Frito-Lay snack portfolio, Quaker, as well as what we call PropBev. So Slurpee and Fountain. So all of those fun businesses and uh, get to uh, have great conversations with all of the different divisions at PepsiCo as well as um, with 7-Eleven. And here in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and global, as you know, in Asia. Bringing back memories of floors as well as building numbers at Frito back in Plano, Texas. And uh, from the several years spent at Legacy Drive. Thank you for that, Marla. And uh, in the digital liner notes of this episode, we'll include links to your LinkedIn profile, PepsiCo's LinkedIn page, for our listeners to access while we move on with our conversation. So I'm going to start here with the CPG guys' first question always, which is we love to hear about career journeys and how they evolved. You graduated at Virginia Tech, started a career in sales, did rotations in other cross-functional roles, and then you've been in customer-facing roles for a while now with increased responsibility and now developing PepsiCo's business as a general manager for uh, the convenience channel. Take us through the years, the experiences you've had, and what were some amazing learnings you've had in the process? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I always tell people, hey, it's been a journey. I'm celebrating my 30-year um, anniversary at PepsiCo this year. So definitely very special in that regard. And uh, I started out like so many people at PepsiCo right off college campus. And it was the sales associate management program back in that time. And you started on a route truck. So I literally started um, at Frito-Lay on a route truck and learning the business from the ground up. So I always tell people at first, you know, I was on it for a year and, uh, you know, you sometimes always would ask yourself, wow, I went to college and now I'm slinging boxes and working routes, but it was the best experience and the best learning for understanding the business and getting to know the people across the retail landscape. So learned a lot. Um, and then I went into my first management role and I did this in Roanoke, Virginia. So right down the road from um, Virginia Tech. So had a little bit of uh, knowledge, obviously, of Western part of Virginia and got to manage a whole team there of route associates. And so what makes it fun learning from people is um, there's so many years of experience and we're one team trying to obviously deliver performance, right? And grow sales together um, with our customers. So I think uh, those were like critical, key, fundamental learning years. And then as I continued to grow in my career, had the opportunity to move as well as to take on larger roles, managing teams. And I would say I kind of crisscrossed managing teams, managing customers, and kind of back and forth and increased in size and scale of responsibility. So got to move to some really fun places, um, Charlotte, North Carolina being probably the top of the list for a few years, as well as I got further down in the south in Birmingham, Atlanta, and Orlando. So lots of places in the south and did those types of roles. And then I had the opportunity to come to Dallas. And Dallas had the uh, privilege to then get a national scope and run our VP of supermarket role. So got to see the whole country, got to see several retailers work with my teams across the country and develop strategy to be successful within that channel. So that was great. And then obviously 
uh, coming into headquarters, seeing how our headquarters decision-making forums, right, versus the field sales side. So great experience in that as well. And then, like you said, had the opportunity to um, go into finance for a few years and really, I would say, tighten up my analytical skills as well as coach and teach because a lot of it was around you know, customers and net revenue management and working together on how we could build the best effective plans together. So that was a lot of fun doing that as well. Um, but I definitely always told myself I wanted to get back into sales and that's where my passion lay. Uh, so definitely got back into sales and got to run in my own region. So large geography, about five states. You know, first region I ran was about 1,500 people. Second region was like 3,200 people. So large, I'd say, people management role, as well as having all different functions within the region and being responsible for a couple billion dollars of sales as well. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work, but really uh, enjoyed the time running two different geographies on the region side as well. And then, like you said, my latest role brought me back to customer in small format. So done a couple of roles with customer in small format in the different channels and uh, really enjoy this one, like I mentioned before, because you really get visibility to all pieces of the PepsiCo business. So that's pretty unique that you don't have the opportunity to do when you're just in one of the divisions. The word Roanoke pop back so many memories. I am tempted to ask Marla, should we keep count who's been to Sharky's more times? <laughs> And had pictures of Killian Red for $1 on Friday nights because that's all I could afford back then. And who's been to Mikado's more times as well as Vietnamese Tea House in the strip mall where we had the store. Oh, I know. Those are good memories. Legendary memories lived there. Did you ever make it out to Mountain Lake? Of course you did. Stupid question. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I even, part of my geography, I even went into a little bit into West Virginia too. So I got the best of uh, the uh, countryside there too. Did you ever get to go to a Mountaineers game at West Virginia? Yeah, up in Morgantown. My first date with my wife actually was Cincinnati at Virginia Tech. I'm talking Jim Druckenmiller era, along with Ken Oxendine, who was the running back back then. I'm going to interrupt here before we get too hokey in our... Peter, you, you got, you're going to have to hijack this. I'm going to get carried away. Next thing you know, we're comparing addresses. 5,600 Terrace View apartments. Here we go. I, I did love that she talked about her passion for sales. You know, I knew another young gentleman who went through the sales management training program at PepsiCo and said that his greatest aspiration was to be a, a regional VP until someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, you should get into this new fangled category. We call it e-commerce. Uh, and it transformed his life. But then, you know what? It came full circle where, you know, now you're back in sales again. But anyhow, hey, Marla, thanks so much for joining us. We're really happy to have you with us today. This is, it's always good to have a conversation about particularly a company and a space that Shri and I have both experienced in. He worked at PepsiCo. I, I worked on site at PepsiCo for three years uh, at IRI. So I walked the hallowed halls of purchase and spent a little time down in Plano as well and out in Chicago at the QTG group. So obviously, as you moved up and moved over, moved up in your career, you had an opportunity to work for probably some really good inspirational leaders. You learned 
a good deal from them. Uh, I'd really love to know, as you started to adopt some of the practices you saw that motivated you, what are some of the leadership attributes that have served you well over the years and have helped champion your career success? Yeah, no, absolutely. There has been uh, quite a few folks that have um, been inspirational leaders over my career. So I won't give you the laundry list of those, but what I've learned from many people over the time that I've been in uh, several different roles is, you know, one of the pieces servant leadership is uh, since I grew up in the business and obviously several field roles where you're really out in the marketplace, talking to the frontline teams, removing obstacles, you become a servant leader. And what can I do to help remove the obstacles so that folks can focus on being successful in the marketplace? So I would say that um, that's probably job number one. And then the second thing is, you know, building the right team. Uh, I think, you know, as soon as you get into management, whether it be customer management or people management, having the right team and, you know, you hear different people say the right people on the bus or the right people on the field. I absolutely have always been really focused on how do I make my team the best possible team out on the field. And uh, I think, you know, there's several things there that you can kind of look at, but I believe you have to make sure you have diversity of thought, diversity of experience, and you know it's always good to have different tenures as well. So one of the things I'm always looking to do is, you know, there's obviously people that we internally promote. There's external hires as well. And people from, like I said, Frito-Lay gave me the opportunity to go into finance. I wasn't a finance major. They took a risk on me to do that, to get different thought leadership. And so I try to look at the same thing to bring people on my team so that you can really build the best team. Because if you build the best team, you're going to win. Like, that's just how I view it. And so I would say those two things, if you can build the right team and you can win in the marketplace and you can win, then there's nothing better from a, a leader perspective. No debate there. You mentioned team several times, but before I uh, actually get to that question, I do need to ask, Pamplin College of Business, right? Was it Hap Bonham who was the dean back then? Say that again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know the Pamplin College of Business, but you're asking me who the dean was? Yeah. We probably graduated within a year of each other because I've looked you up on LinkedIn. And um, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'd have to Google on him. I am that diehard uh, Virginia Tech alum. So uh, let's go to teams. You mentioned the importance of coaching teams and you've led large ones, especially given you come from a DST workforce. You've had several large teams under you in different roles and a successful leader always bets and invests on building a good team around them. What do you look for in attributes for those who you want to bring on as leaders under your team? And how do you personally help build those teams once they're reporting into you? Great question. I mean, I can tell you from my perspective, what I look for, obviously, like you say, in different businesses, it might be slightly different, but this is what's worked for me is, you know, first and foremost, obviously, I look for people that have the skills to build relationships and to engage and work with other people. Um, because in what I do, that's like paramount. If you have people that don't enjoy that, then we're not going to be highly successful. It's easier said than done. I think you really have to um, 
ask a lot of questions, observe people as well. Um, the other piece I always tell folks is, hey, I can teach you. I have a lot of experience within our organization and within the industry. I can teach you pretty much everything I know. But a couple things, you have to have the willingness that you want to learn it. And I think the right attitude. I can't say that enough. Like, if you don't have the attitude, I can't teach that. So I tell folks all the time, like, be straight up with, you know, me in the sense of like, is this something you really want to do? And this is something you really want to learn. But I can teach you everything else that I know and obviously put you in touch with other people on things I may not know. So I mentioned this earlier, but I'm really big on having folks that have different backgrounds. So I look for that as well so that you can make the team um, the highest performing team. So different thought leadership, different backgrounds, um, different times and positions, roles, et cetera. And then I always tell folks, hey, don't wait for HR to ask the question on, you know, how's your team? Always be constantly evaluating your team and making sure that you do have the right people in the right places because, you know, you're not going to be successful if you don't. So make changes. And I would say measure the people on your team and build on that. And when I say measure, you know, we, we all have KPIs, but measure the success of the team and then celebrate that. So that's what's worked for me over the years. And uh, I think those are the keys, at least um, in my industry. Peter, can I ask Marla one more Virginia Tech question? What a favorite food item was at Or would you ban me? Am I getting banned? I think you've had your quota for Virginia Tech. You can come back to it at the end of the conversation. I can't even say Dietrich Hall, none of that stuff? No, none of it, no. Final. let me ask a question about teams in that case, right? So successful teams, Marla, require two-way communication, which is feedback processes. How do you provide feedback and how do you also solicit for feedback from the team? Wow. So this changed a lot over the years, right? But I think it's uh, super important. And I think for the first question is um, in the soliciting feedback, ask a ton of questions, whether it's customer or field roles. When you're in a role, just you know, make sure you truly understand. Um, ask questions. Don't state your opinion first. Listen, obviously, really closely. Um, so you do this through obviously in person, but then, you know, I would say us at PepsiCo, we send reports as well. Some people don't like to voice their opinions in person. So how do you do that within another forum to allow people to have their perspective? So we do that and you get management quality performance index based on your team's feedback. So there's multiple ways to get that. And then the other thing is um, just with your management team, asking them, you know, I'd say ongoing, don't just wait for once a year, twice a year, make it an ongoing process so that people know that they can speak their mind freely at all times. And uh, what was it? Did you have a second question in that question? Yeah, I believe feedback is a two-way street, right? One is you give them and one is you solicit as well. So I'd love to hear both sides of the equation. Yeah. So giving feedback as far as giving feedback directly, I think um, my piece on that is I'd say doing it Timely fashion, and I like to do it face-to-face if at all possible. So, I mean, I love email. It's obviously pretty efficient in, you know, communication, but that's not my number one, I would say, mode of communication when you're doing feedback. I'd rather have a conversation because there's always more information that you're going to learn versus doing it over email. And then, you know, you can do it over the phone, but I like to see people and their expressions. So 
I always try to do it face to face or Zoom if that's the other option that people have. But that would be my way. And, and obviously, when you're early in my career, when I'm in the field roles, I got to be out in cars and traveling together with people and spending lots of time. So that was probably the time beginning or end of the day, we would just have a chat. Yeah. There are three forms of communication. There's the words you use, whether you write them down, you put them in an email. There is uh, the tone in which you deliver it. And then there are the nonverbal cues. And to your point, Zoom is good because you capture all three. And the nonverbal cues seem to be the one that most research I've seen says communicates the most about what's going on because there are facial expressions, there are other cues, and you really need all three of them. And if you only have one in email, I found that people can misinterpret. You think it's perfectly benign and other people find it massively confrontational. Yes. That's basically all of my communications with Shree. That's why we try to do Zoom calls all the time. He's smiling, but it's true. You hey, know Yankees true. fan, Dodgers fan, opposite ends of the country. What were you expecting? Oh, jeez, I know. The other thing I didn't say, and I'm sure all of us agree on this, is um, when you're giving feedback, don't give 12 things, right? Like people cannot absorb, and me included. Like, give me your top three, four max. Right. So I think people sometimes they want to go through the laundry list of like, here's all 12 things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, pick the top three or four and like focus on those. And then, you know, those get addressed. You can move to the next four. Yeah. Yeah. But some people just uh, they want to they want to get it off their list versus thinking about what's really uh, productive. So, Marla, no surprise. We live in a transformationally omnichannel world. Right now, the pandemic had a massive acceleration on how we buy products, how we engage with consumers. I'd like to know in the roles that you had, how did everything that was going on, suddenly people consuming more at home, suddenly uh, people doing more e-commerce, and then even in the last, you know, couple months, it continues to transform. Like, How do you adjust that? How do you get your team comfortable with this massive amount of what essentially is discomfort, right? And uh, how, how do you stay on top of that to make sure that the company can actually not only survive, but thrive? Yeah, great questions. And it was super challenging. I mean, I think all of us could agree on that in the sense of like how VUCA the environment was and how quickly... So before I was in this role, I was in a free-to-lay, it was called a media consumption role. And basically that was small format as well. So I had similar um, drug and convenience and gas in that role. So I had all a small format. So I would say number one concern, right? And it was different by channel, but I'd say high touch frequency with your team right? On the massive amount of change that was happening in the marketplace, but also with your customers. And I remember just endless phone calls and Zoom calls, just staying in touch, right? With all of the things that were happening in the business. So, you know, as you guys all can remember, in at least C&G, people weren't going to the office. So therefore, there was dramatic trip loss in the convenience channel. So drug, it was a little bit of the opposite. People were getting COVID. So their traffic was you know, going up because people were going to the drugstore for obviously medicine. So 
So that's a, that's, this all has like a day part implication as well, doesn't it? It's not only just a channel, it's a day part. Absolutely. So we saw like in CNG, like afternoon evenings, right? When people were leaving their house to go, they needed to get out because they were going stir crazy. They would. Uh, that's why we created this podcast, because honestly, Shree and I were going crazy at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm not kidding. That's why we did it. That's awesome, though. And look where it is today. But yeah, so I think it was just, you know, we were constantly evaluating the trends. We were working with our, um, we call them our demand accelerator team at PepsiCo, like lots of consumer insights, like I said, and taking those to our retailers, asking them what they were seeing, what we could be doing different, better. Everybody was trying to, you know, I'd say solve complex issues. And the key was just obviously driving traffic where you could in small format, and then, you know, how you get the basket and the uh, the units and sales growth, right? So, and it was tough. I mean, like in those channels, it was tough the first six to seven months. So came back, you know, as we knew it would the following year, because obviously Omnichannel was uh, in online, you know, went through the roof. So the neat thing was we had some customers, um, so 7-Eleven being one of them, they have a platform called Seven Now, and um, you know that that platform did extremely well, and it still is. It's grown a lot over the past couple of years, um, but it really got, I would say, its jumpstart during the pandemic. So it was um, exciting to see, you know, consumers obviously engaging in a different way in convenience and gas, and I know several other retailers now have those capabilities as well. So lots going on in the space during the pandemic. You know, I, I always think of C&G, the convenience and gas for if you're in the industry and not familiar with that particular channel acronym. I think of that as a place where innovation thrives. I love walking in and seeing new innovative products. How did the innovation pipeline with supply constraints and everything else, how much of a challenge was that to that particular channel? How do you adjust to something like that? Because I got to imagine it's a real challenge. Absolutely. I think, yeah, several companies, you know, chose like, hey, you know, we're going to stop innovating. I guess I was very fortunate in the sense that PepsiCo innovation is um, definitely the backbone of our business and consumers were, were consumer obsessed with they love variety and trying new things. So we didn't make as many, but we kept making innovation during the pandemic. And like you said, People love to find new flavors, varieties, forms to add. And especially during the pandemic, because I felt like people were looking for more creative ideas and more ways to do things than ever. So it was fun. I would say, um, you know, making the innovation as big as it could be. And we did get to stand out in the sense of that we continued that platform during that time frame. And it was a hard decision. Like internally, we debated it a lot. Because obviously, like you said, supply chain was strained and we were, you know, obviously making as many cases as we possibly could and wanted to make sure we had what our customers wanted and needed. But innovation is definitely um, a key piece of our strategy. You know, Peter's asking all the meeting meaningful questions today while I'm staying superficial. And I thought we'll go to the route number of Blacksburg Transit from Newman's Library. But in any event, let me remind our audience that we're speaking with Marla Darlin, SVP GM for the Global 7-Eleven Partnership at PepsiCo. And Marla, I'm going to go to an area which was meaningful, very meaningful to both you and me, very important as well as deeply embedded in our heart. And that is we're both fellow board members 
of Next Up, a journey you have been on for quite a bit and one that I have been in for the last five years. And uh, I would love to hear about your involvement over the years with Next Up. How did you hear of Next Up when it was Network of Executive Women? How did you choose to get involved? And then as a board member now, what is the mission you're trying to drive, not just within Next Up's leadership, but also in the CPG and retail industry? Thank you for asking that question. That, that is like a true passion of mine. So let me give you a little bit of context. So when I started my career, I think I mentioned I've been on the journey for a while and uh, I was the only, uh, I started out of college, I was the only female that was at that time we called them, you know, zones. And then I became a manager. I was the only. So as I, you know, progressed in my career, I was always committed that I was passionate about how do I get more females in PepsiCo, right? I don't want anyone to feel like they're the only. So fast forward, I've been with Next Up for 15 years and I was living in Orlando, Florida at the time. We, I think I had been there a couple of years and I joined the regional chapter that was down in Tampa. So I was about an hour, hour and 15 away from Orlando. And I just like, I went to a couple of meetings and we actually had probably like 15 PepsiCo folks that we would go and they'd have a, a spring and a fall big type of um, learning session. And we would tap into that session. And then we would also do a PepsiCo, like either a lunch before or happy hour or just a get together afterwards and connect across us as folks. And uh, it was so inspirational. I was married. I had um, just had my first child. And so for me, it was a little bit like not feeling like you're on an island, meeting people across the industry, meeting people within PepsiCo as well there. And so it just provided a you know, I would say a really good community of folks that you could talk to. And you could talk to them a little bit about work, obviously. But I would say the other topics we talked about were probably the most important. And that was just about, you know, whether it was career or personal. And you you had that feeling that you could reach out to folks and they knew like they had been through some of the same things you've been through. So you're not on an island by yourself. So I always tell people, that next up provided that community when I first joined the organization. And I thought the topics were just so relevant to me as well when I was in, uh, in Florida. But then fast forward, I, I belonged to a couple different regions as I moved and then had the opportunity in Dallas. They came and asked me, hey, would you like to be the um, Frito-Lay ambassador? of next up. And I've been involved in our internal ERGs for a while, but it was a privilege. So I got to lead next up within the Frito-Lay division. Uh, and so it was exciting. Got to attend all the ambassador things at next up, learn about the, I'd say the more of the national organization versus the regional side, and then had the opportunity later in my career to become the PepsiCo ambassador as well as on the board. So I feel like I've kind of grown up in next up. And what we try to do at PepsiCo is um, we have a strong group of like 1200 women that are members of next up across the organization. And I really try to integrate what we do with next up also with our internal ERGs, because we're all trying to achieve the same mission and goal. And like you said early in the podcast, it's, it's really to um, recruit, advance, retain females in the workplace. And so it's been a big passion of mine. You know, I think we all spend time on our passions, maybe outside of um, our day to day. And it really has been fun to watch the progression 
that I've seen, not only at PepsiCo, which I'm super proud of, but also across the industry of when I first started to where it is today. You go to one of the previous um, Next Up Summit in Chicago. And I remember like the first one I attended. And I remember the one we just attended a few months ago. And uh, it's so neat to see how far we've come. Marla, you actually bought back another memory, which doesn't have to do anything with Virginia Tech. So Peter can be happy. It actually has to do with PepsiCo. I still remember you mentioned the ERG's little known secret, starting up and forming the PepsiCo Asian Network back in 2004 under the guidance of Al Carey, who had just taken on a role as president of sales, chief customer officer, and just about starting the PepsiCo Power One. And I'll never forget that moment when I was summoned to his office. I thought I'd done something wrong because it was after a presentation. He talked to me about, should we be doing this? And another one that through the PepsiCo ecosystem that I learned a lot from and to the day have benefited from. Yeah, no, you bring up a great name. So I got to know Al as well. And uh, he was just a true inspiration across the industry as well as uh, I never met anyone that Al didn't know or have a great relationship with. And he was the ultimate well frontline leader as well as uh, I would say customer leader. He always found a way to bridge customer and our PepsiCo um, divisions and brands. So super inspirational. I, uh, I, I'll i never forget this memory. So Stephen Williams, um, he's the current CEO of Frito, but he was um, at that time running the regions at Frito and he was my boss. And so I had all of um, Texas and Al flew in and we did a market tour. And so at the end of the day, I learned that Al had flown down and he was telling Stephen that um, he was getting close to, uh, I think the next day, the uh, retirement announcement came out and he made a special trip just to do that. And that was always a memory. One, I had a great day with my team in the marketplace with him and he was always inspirational to the entire group that he would take the time out of his busy schedule to do that. So that was uh, very impactful. Great story. That's wonderful. So thinking about back to this omni-channel transformation, even in the last six months, we're seeing a lot more change. We see inflationary prices. We see, but we also see a return to stores. I'm really curious how you make sure you're adapting your team and their focus to ensure that PepsiCo is thriving from a demand and the consumption perspective. You know, ultimately, I, I think to the fact that as far as I can see back, PepsiCo has won the Kantar Power Ranking Survey, and that doesn't come without a lot of effort and a lot of work in partnership with retailers. So I'm really curious how, even in these turbulent times, you're able to make sure that you and your team are doing their part towards satisfying consumers and partnering with customers? No, great question. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, right? Day in and day out. But um, a couple things there. I think, um, and I'll go back to one of the themes is, you know, just really having good conversations with your retailers on what are the issues? Um, Obviously, we always have things that we think we're trying to solve. But making sure that you're on the same page with your retailer and what they're trying to solve um, so that we can help each other do that together. Because so many times, you know, I've seen where people have their own agenda and then it doesn't line up with whoever you're trying to work with on the retailer side. So I think that's a piece of it in making sure that you have that and high touch, right? Because things do change pretty quickly. 
in the retail landscape. So making sure you have those conversations frequently. But also, I think having, like you said, like, okay, this is what I'm seeing, right? This is what I'm from an insights perspective or from the retail landscape, this is what I'm hearing because you start connecting themes and dots, right? Across the different pieces. Um, and then hear what they have to say as well. And then what do we want to go solve? Because there is, uh, especially right now, as you guys, I think everybody's in this space of obviously the consumer is um, very focused on value. And so right now, like, how do we go and work together to provide that? And everybody, value means a lot of different things to a lot of different consumers. So it's not always just about price. In some cases, there is that element, but then there's a lot of other levers where value and um, experience come into play for consumers. So you have to constantly be talking about how we can do it across many different facets in order to be successful together. So. But having everybody on your team like rowing in the boat together, because you got to have insights, you got to have category, you got to have sales, you got to have um, the finance team behind the scenes, you know, working really hard to like, okay, what can we do with this, this, and this, right? And how can we be creative? So it's constant. And then as I think through your everyday job working with your retail partners, at the end of the day, your customer account leadership and what it means is you have to influence your peers. Innovation is a piece of it. Distribution is another piece of it. Flavor points is another piece of it. And that means you're influencing senior leaders, not just within PepsiCo, but also at 7-Eleven. How do you personally lead this mission of influencing senior leaders across both sides of the fence and ensuring that the mission remains delivering for 7-Eleven's customer at the end of the day? Yes, that is easier said than done, right? In the sense of, um, I think the constant there, as we're talking about, you know, strategic is to keep the internal organization super focused on what is, you know, whether it be if you've already got the JBP, the joint business plan mapped out and what we need to go do to deliver that. Or if it's something that's off cycle, then you have to, you know, go back to like what the roots are and talking through like, this is why it matters from a customer perspective. And I always come from a solution mindset you know, I'm always like, how do we get to a yes um, or a maybe, right? In the sense of what we can do together. So that's the mindset. And internally, you have to, you know, you're constantly, like you say, convincing folks why it matters. And so, because some people don't come from the same area in whether it be customer or field and why different things matter. So it's easy for them to say no. So that's, I think, internally. And then keeping, I'd say, the field and the influence part we're all in the same place. Like no one gets credit for anything until it's scanned out the the front door of a retailer, right? That's the cash register. Uh, So we have to make sure that we're working together. You can sell it at the customer level, but you have to have the field executed and then it has to get out the door for uh, us to be successful. So I think that's um, super important. We're not like, you know, one against the other. We're, we're together and we're working together holistically across that. So, and then I think with the customer, it's a constant conversation to make sure that they feel like that we're listening and that we're working. I always, you know, and I'm in a role right now where I am a hundred percent dedicated to one customer. So it's, you know, right now I, you know, I definitely, everything I do is um, I tell Seven Eleven everything I do is, you know, in the spirit of for Seven Eleven. Now in other parts of my career, I didn't have that 
same piece. I had multiple customers. And so you have to wear lots of different hats, right? When you have that scenario, but you're always trying to win for your customer and solve whatever challenge together will make us successful. Thank you for that. Uh, Let me close this out as we think about people who are interested in pursuing a career. You know, you're, uh, I don't want to say an anomaly, but someone who's spent the, the bulk of a 30 year career with one employer is definitely something that I envy. I, I don't, the only thing I've done for 30 years is own a pair of shoes, I think that's consistent. That's about <laughs> it. But I'd love to know what kind of advice you might have to particularly women wishing to pursue a corporate career in the CPG retail industry. You know, PepsiCo is, I think, very well known for advancing women in the organization. Uh, Shri and I are particular fans of, I think you know who the band of sisters are, uh, C, Don, Katie, Lori, Mitzi, and Angelique, who wrote the book, You Should Smile More, which is a real, it's just a, such a great um, microcosm of vignettes on how they've addressed gender bias in the workplace and, and possible ways that different archetypes, the person who's experiencing it, the boss who's there, and the person who's observing what they can do. But I'd love to hear your advice on what you would offer for women who want to pursue a career in this industry that we all are very passionate about. Yeah, no, thanks for that. So I have a 14 and a half year old daughter right now. And so she's a it seems like they're like Shri, you mentioned, like they start younger and younger trying to figure out what they want to do with their life, right? And so my advice to her as well as to any person that I talk to is find your passion, right? Like what is your passion? Uh, what makes you motivated every day to jump out of bed and uh, go do for most of your working hours, right? Something and to make an impact. So I always say that's job number one. And I tell people that all the time. And if you fall out of passion or fall out of love of what you're doing, then I always tell people, I will support you in going and finding what that new passion is because you can't have an employee that's not passionate or you're not going to be successful. And then the other piece I would say is, okay, you found your passion, you love sales or you love general management or you know leading teams, learn as much as you can. And I didn't know it at the time, but when I first started, um, that's exactly what the company was really trying to teach me is, you know, learn as much about the business as you possibly could. And that will make you a better leader long term, because if you take that same learning, I don't care what role you're in, is take the time to really step back and learn. So what that means, especially the younger generation, I think a little bit is it's not a sprint it's a marathon. So don't like, just because you're in one role and your manager might be talking to you about a lateral move, that's not a bad thing. Because back to my point on learning, you can learn so many different things in so many different types of roles, and they're not always going to be a promotion. So I always try to encourage people to think differently. We call them critical experiences in the sense of how you gain critical experience that's going to help you long-term get to your professional goals and aspirations. It's a lattice approach, right? Um, you probably heard that before. And then the last thing I would say is, um, and next up was a great example, but also, you know, fellow colleagues and people in the industry is surround yourself with your tribe 
or your network and keep those people close and ask them questions, um, whether it be personal or professional, and they will help you along the way. But if you never make yourself vulnerable, if you never ask, if you never do any of that, then um, it's going to be a lot harder to learn as well as to get where you want to be. So, and I tell other female leaders, you can't control everything and outsource. (laughs) When you get to the level, I always tell people outsource. Whatever isn't a passion for you, find some, you know, if you can afford it and you start out small, but outsource so that you can spend your time doing what you want to do in the sense of like, it's with your family, your kids, your hobby, whatever it is. Um, So those are some like key things of wisdom. Some of them I learned the hard way over the years. I wish somebody would have said, and then some of them I've gotten great advice from people throughout the years in my career. Golden words of wisdom. And I would have expected nothing less when I asked fellow alum from Virginia Tech and PepsiCo, Marla Dodlin, to join us on this podcast. Let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content by going to a web browser and typing the URL cpgguys.com. And if you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to a community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com and maybe you can join us on the podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com on the navigation bar up top. That allows us to know how we're doing, whether we're having the right conversations in the industry. And sincere thank you from the bottom of our heart from Peter, me, and Brian for the 26,000 plus followers on LinkedIn. When we started this, we had no idea that's how big this family would become. Marla, sincerely, thank you. I know we had some tech challenges today when we tried to record this episode for your flexibility and giving us another slot today and actually committing and doing this podcast and not turning me down when I asked you. Sincerely, thank you for joining the CPG, guys. No, thank you. Appreciate the time. Peter, it's that fun part where I ask you to summarize the learnings that Marla has shared with all of us here today. Thank you, Shri. Yeah, wow, what a great story. Three decades at PepsiCo. I love that she started on a DST route truck. You know, Shri, my second day on the job at Hearts Pet Care when I came out of business school was on a route truck driving livestock to uh, Woolworth stores in Spanish Harlem. Anyone remember Woolworth? Yeah, exactly. That was Hearts' largest client at the time. Uh, oh, the days have gone. What's great I heard from her is making sure that you, to succeed, you learn from those who you encounter, uh, who you work with, above you, beside you, below you. That is going to serve you well as you move through your career. Also, to say, you know, she took relocation opportunities that afforded her experiences that she might not have had if she stayed geographically located. Some people like to stay where they are, but uh, you know, when you open yourself up to opportunities, sometimes there are great opportunities that come in part with moving around. Her John into finance really improved her analytic skills and revenue growth management. I think that probably made her a better overall customer leader. She probably really understands the P&L of her account and all of the component parts. Um, and getting a customer in small format is so fascinating to me because essentially the portfolio that you're representing from a price pack architecture is by far the most profitable set of SKUs that you will find in a food and beverage manufacturer. And so, you know, being able to contribute that kind of profitable growth to the company is very, very critical. It's not like just the front end of the grocery store. That's all it is, Right the dominance of what's going on and the convenience and gas channel 
is really about these profitable single serve SKUs. Being a good leader, the skills that have served her well is one, first of all, being a servant leadership in terms of the model performance. And that's really about listening to your team, removing their obstacles, letting them succeed, letting them shine, and building a, a really great team around diversity of thought and experience uh, from different levels, different experiences, but also people who think differently. I think of the Doris Kearns Goodwin book, uh, Team Arrivals, that brings the best out of people. You know, you need to have skills from your people that they can, one, build relationships, and two, they can collaborate with others. If they think of the team as themselves and not as the broader team, uh, that's going to be a real obstacle to their ability to achieve lifelong learning, having a really great attitude. And as a leader, don't wait for HR to give you your engagement scores once a year. If you wait for that and you find out like, wait, what? They thought what of me? You're not being a good leader all the time. You can't wait for that stuff. When you get that engagement score, all you should be thinking is, yep, I've been listening correctly and it's reinforcing what I already know. If you get surprised, then you need to rethink about how you're communicating with your team. Um, leaders ask a lot of questions and listen a lot more than they talk. During the pandemic, the transformation in Omnichannel required, particularly with the change in shopping patterns and purchasing behavior, a real high-touch approach to both the teams and the customers they were working with and being able to pivot. You know, 7-Eleven, as much as they were suffering from, you know, the morning drive-to-work traffic pattern, they also saw their 7Now delivery business explode. And so being able to make sure you're servicing your customer when they need their help the most is is paramount. And while it was hard to keep innovating, it was critical to growth. And, and what I heard Marla say is that PepsiCo, while it may not have done as much innovation as it normally would have, it was still of primary focus and that allowed it to thrive. Her experience with Next Up has been transformational. She's been involved for 15 years, started with the regional chapter in Orlando, she found it to be an inspirational community for career and personal advancement. Uh, I believe she called it later on in our conversation, creating your tribe. Uh, and then moving up from Frito-Lay ambassador to overall PepsiCo ambassador before finally joining the board and having a more significant role in how this organization is going forward. I know that Shri and I are personally excited about what's going on at next up this year with the uh, arrival of Lisa Baird. And, uh, you know, if any indication is coming from the summit that went to 1,600 people and completely oversold, that's a real sense that people are invested in it and think it's worthwhile. You want to be successful in your organization and make sure your team is working well. Keep your internal organization focused on the joint business planning outcomes that you have set with your customer. Yeah, you're going to get curveballs every now and again, but focus on what those outcomes are and make sure that where you're spending your time is delivering against those outcomes. That's how I read what she shared with us. And from a personal standpoint, advice to people who want to get in this business, don't do it if you're passionate about it. If you're not passionate about it, Make a change, but be passionate about whatever you do because you're going to do the best work if you like doing, not because it just happens to be where you studied and you think you have some some functional expertise. That's not enough to build a career. Uh, learn as much as you can through critical experiences. And I'll just close out by saying, 
you know, Shri and I, you know this, build a tribe, right? You and I have got that. We've got many tribes we belong to and we keep them very close to us. That's going to serve you well in your career. That's what I heard, Shri. That is one heck of a wrap up, Peter. Thank you for that. Marla, thank you for not saying no and joining us on the CPG guys. And uh, I will wrap up this episode by asking audience that very question that Marla put out there. Who is your tribe? Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.